Yeah, again, I'm one of the interns here, Jerome. I'm happy to be here, man. I'm honored and privileged to be able to bring God's word for you today. Um, man, when, you, when, you, when I preach, and I'm sure Rob can attest to this, man, it's one of the few times you get a, like a real sense like, man, this is, this is God's people that you're speaking to. This is, this is, this is weighty. This is serious. Um, so whatever I say, I, I, I must be uh, sincere and make sure it is right. Um, so there's a lot of prep to go into this. Um, and I pray, man, you guys are encouraged and blessed today. I mean, this, this sermon is meant to be um, sort of a, hey, we are doing really well. Let's, let's continue to grow. Um, it's more of an encouragement and a challenge at the same time, but much more of an encouragement. Uh, so with that, the title is Beautiful Community. And for our discussion, we'll be in John chapter 17, verse 20. I'll give you some time to turn there. It's in your bulletin as well. And I'll read. Jesus says, as he prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as I just mentioned, Lord, I'm, I'm overwhelmed <laughs> by this moment. And I've been particularly overwhelmed by your church, your people, and how much we are actually together and unified. God, I've been blessed by just the simple words of encouragement of people sharing, hey, I've been praying for you. And God, what better picture is that than to say that we belong together in a family? So I I pray, Father, that you will help us to see today that through your Holy Spirit, you will help us to meditate on your word. Father, protect us from our sin, its distractions, but also Satan, his attempt to steal, kill, and destroy our faith and even our unity. Brother, would you help us to hear your word, to believe it in our hearts, and to do it? God, anoint me with your spirit to preach your word. Be with my mouth. I ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our, in our words of the day, we, we find some of Jesus' final words right before he is um, arrested and crucified. And in his closing remarks, um, we, he actually prays for the unity of his people, which is remarkable in and of itself, Right? And so given the fact that we as a church are, are, are trying to share Christ, we, we'll see that in this text, Christ would actually encourage us that, hey, in order, to, in order to do that, you must be unified. In their book titled Against All Odds, three authors recount their engagement with several current and former members of a predominantly Filipino church. This church had a period of time where they were, they were growing, they were growing fast, they were vibrant. And particularly in, in diversity, um, they had seen a lot of growth. And it was because of the lead pastor had a, had a, a nice, um, diverse group of friends we were able to pull from to bring people into the body. 
Um, however, with this, with these group of authors found, and they record in their book that um, though these diverse people came to their to their church, they, they didn't stay, and they were actually eventually leave. Um, they found that even though the church was warm and hospitable and, and inviting, the biggest obstacle that the church faced over its five-year history, um, seeing that been that the members didn't feel connected. They felt socially isolated and disconnected. And this led the authors to conclude in their book that multi-ethnic churches, diverse churches, different generations, different traditions, different cultures are unstable. And guess what? We aren't exempt from that. I think if we don't pay attention to what God has revealed in history, if we don't practice what it means to be unified, if we fail to love each other well, we too can fall in some of this instability, this same unstableness. I think this is why Christ would tell us in our verses today that failing to be united will fail us in being his witness. So in other words, in order for us to live out our church's mission to share Christ, we in some way need to share in Christ together here, right? So if there's anything I want you to take away from today's message is, is this one point. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Christians must live as Christ's beautiful community. Christians must live as Christ's beautiful community. And I have three points. Who, who is Christ's community? And I'll give those two reasons of, of why we must live in Christ's community. Uh, one being that Christ's beautiful community is his reflection, and Christ's beautiful community is his revelation. Christ's beautiful community is his reflection, and also his revelation. Now, as you, as you hear that, and now I'm, I'm certain you haven't read this book. And by the way, Rob has done a book sermon. Isaac is, I'm doing a book sermon too. So this is the book I'm using here called Beautiful Community. Uh, so if I, didn't, if I fail to quote him, don't, don't give me a plagiarism. Um, uh, but maybe you haven't read that book, and that's cool. Uh, but when you hear Beautiful Community, you may be like, man, what are you talking about? Why, why are you calling it beautiful? Why are you calling it a beautiful community? So what you, what you actually will see in our verses today that, that in, as Christ is praying, he begins praying for his disciples, and then he goes on to pray for the people that his disciples were bringing through their word. So in some way, when, we, when I say Christ's beautiful community, I mean Christ's people. That Christ's beautiful community is his people. If we pick up in verse 20, um, we'll see that, again, Christ is praying for the people that his disciples would bring into the fold through the word that he has given them. And in the past three to four chapters, Christ has been sort of ministering and praying for his current disciples. And so when he, when he comes to these verses, he begins to pray for essentially us. He begins to pray for us. And I don't know if that actually hits you hard, but to think about that, Christ in this chapter, in this verse, in this book, is praying for you and me and us to be together that the creator of heaven and earth, the God of the universe, the, the one who we call the beginning and the end, all that we're learning about in Genesis, he's praying for us and for you. And this is exactly what I think Moses is sort of getting at in Genesis when he preaches to, when he's writing to the Israelites um, during this time that our God is personal, he's near, he's compassionate, and he's for his people. And I think what's even more empowering and what's even more encouraging is that Christ not only prays for us here, but he's right now praying for us. He constantly prays for us. And he's not like some of us, right, when we say, I'll pray for you, if you forget. 
Christ always prays for us. He never forgets. He never grows tired. So in some way, we can say that Christ not only descended for us, but he also ascended for us. Right? I'm not sure about you, but I'm not sure there's a better God we could, we could fathom, a better, better, a better love we could, we could feel, or a better care we can rest in. So if you keep going, in the second half of the verse, we notice that Christ says that it's praying for those who, those who will believe in me through his word. This means that the only qualifier to be a part of Christ's beautiful community, the only thing that you need in order to be a part of Christ's body is faith, right? Not self-achieved um, goodness or righteousness or, or having perfect theology or, if some will believe, having a certain ethnicity or certain income or age. There's no additional requirement. There's no additional prerequisite for being a part of Christ's body but faith. Our confession states that faith as in receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is alone the instrument of justification. So as I, as I talk about who Christ's beautiful community is, it's those who believe in the Son of God to be the Messiah. And the type of faith I'm talking about is not, is not that, I know when we, when we hear faith, you might think, oh man, if I just really want to have it, boom, it's going to pop up. That's not the kind of faith I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about as the confession states, right? One that will rest, one that will see their perfection and goodness in Christ, coming from Christ. It is a gift, something we receive from God. So in other words, Christ's beautiful community are made up of individuals who are recipients of his overwhelming love, right? his faith that he's given to us. This reminds me of one of my uh, favorite songs. Lyrics go like this. He says, come you sinners, poor needy, poor needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. Grace requires nothing more. Don't let anyone tell you that you aren't a part of Christ's community if you have faith in him. You belong to him if your faith is found in Christ. I've been going through a um, movie series by myself <laughs> on, on X-Men. It's like a little background, something to watch, you know, as I, as I work. And one of the things you, you pick up on every movie is sort of the hospitality and the generosity of Professor X. And I don't know if you guys remember Professor X. He's the guy in the wheelchair who's bald, who has um, telepathic as his power, superpower. And one of the things that you notice about him is that he cherishes and he welcomes all his students. The only thing he really requires of them is to be different and to have powers, right? And I think it's the same way we think about Christ's family, that the only thing that you need to be a part of Christ's family is faith. It's not some sort of way you get yourself better before you come. No, it's Christ welcomes us and he makes us new. So in just these, in just these few words, we, I think we find a lot of truth, major realities that Christ has given to us. Right? That, that these, these few words have huge implications in our lives. I think on one hand, we think about what Christ is saying here about who belongs to his community, who exactly resides in his community, right? I think we as Christians are challenged not to be in some way self, self-appointed gatekeepers, I like to call it, right? I think, I think we're often quick to, re- to revoke someone's faith, often quick to say, hey, that person clearly isn't a part of Christ's body. We say that because people have different traditions or different theology, or different sinful struggles, or sometimes different even political views, 
they aren't in Christ's community. And most likely we are wrong, right? Just because we just aren't, we aren't God. We don't have the mind of God. And I'm not talking about, you know, faithfully and wisely searching the scriptures to judge someone's character. I think that's right and good. We should do that. But I'm talking about that, those rushed, those, those quick, those emotive decisions we make when we declare somebody is not a part of Christ's body. I think we do well by following David's example and resisting to do harm, even verbal harm toward the Lord's anointed, who we would say has been anointed through the Holy Spirit. If you have faith, you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. So we ought to follow David's example and be careful about how we use our words to harm the next person. I think this also is a welcoming, this invitation to be a part of Christ's community. Whether you are a child or whether you've never, or never, you've heard, never heard of Christ and you, you may have been disconnected from the body because some, 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 some sort of reason. I think Christ is sort of welcoming you here in this text as well. I think you can't miss that. The Christ says that if, if you want to be a part of my community, if you want to be welcomed in, if you want to be loved by me, then believe that the Lord has sent me to save you. Lastly, I'll mention that I believe Christ's community is best expressed in our local churches. So as we think about who Christ is calling his community, in, in some way, we are not receiving all that God has blessed us with by being up dis disconnected from his local community. I like how my professor puts it. He says, to be outside the church is to be without Christ's protection, provision, and care. So as you think about who Christ's beautiful community is, again, it is those who believe in him. So I, I invite you today to believe in Christ, to be a part of his community. And if that's you, man, please come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. If you haven't been um, a part of a church, if you aren't a member, I, I encourage you to find a Bible-believing, Jesus-exalting church. We do that here. Um, and, and join and be a part of it and do that fast so that you may be um, a beneficiary of what Christ has given us and given the world through his community. But so... so like that's like the groundwork. The groundwork needed to be laid for, for as I, as I kind of talk about who is Christ's community, who is Christ's beautiful community. And again, it is those who believe in him. But again, who, what, what makes them beautiful, right? And, and why is it important that they live in this community? I, I think that we, we might have a, a, assumptions about this, but the text has, has some clarifications. And one of those being Christ is reflected in his beautiful community. Christ is reflected in his beautiful community. And notice, notice how Christ is connected to his people here. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. In verse 22, he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In 23, he goes on to say, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. See, there's a sense in which the nature, the character, and the glory of God is reflected in his people. Did you catch that? That, he, that even though we are marked by Christ individually, there's a way in which we bear Christ's image, we bear God's image as a community. The text says that we do this by being one and becoming perfectly one. And if you ever heard me preach, I like to ask the text a lot of questions. Okay, what does it mean to be one? And what does it mean to become perfectly one? 
I like how one commentator puts it. He says um, that Christ, um, this, Christ is a referencing that being of, the, of being of the same mission or being missionally minded. Right? I, I think there's that a, a good way of thinking about this, but as you read the text and as you think about the context of the text, it's, there seems to be sort of a quantitative focus or quantitative aspect to what Christ is praying for. So another, I think another helpful translation or way to, to say the word one is to say united, right? So Christ is praying that his people will be one people, together, lockstep, bonded, inseparable. This, while, while this isn't a, um, a, a perfect illustration, but I think it's a good one. I think Christ is praying for us to be like a team. But not like, and not like any team. I mean like those high school, middle school, and maybe even elementary school teams. Um, and, and let me paint a picture for you. So when I was in high school, I played basketball, and um, me and the guys were, we were tight. We, we, of course we were tight on the court, right? We wore the same jerseys. We wore the same team shoes. We were also, also of course, a part of the same mission, trying to win and trying to represent our school well. Um, but even outside the court, we hung out together. We spent the night at each other's houses. Their parents were my parents, and my parents were their parents. Even our coach, man, was even like, like our father. And we did, we did everything together. We were genuinely like a family. And I think this is what the type of oneness crisis desires for us, that, that, hey, I want you to be like that super bonded, you can't ever pull them apart. When you see one, you see the other type of basketball team, or any other team for that matter. That's the kind of oneness Christ wants for us, to be super connected, to be knitted together in some way. And again, you might be asking, though, okay, why? Why does Christ want us to be so connected? And I think it's not just about getting along. I think when we think about unity and, and, and being together, we think, okay, Christ wants us all to have peace and to get along and, then, and to work together. And that's true. That's not, that's not untrue. That's very true. But actually, if you read through the text, you will see that the goal is actually God's glory. That when, we t- when I talk about unity, I'm not, necess- I'm not necessarily talking about <laughs> sinking hands and like kumbaya. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about God's glory is revealed and reflected as we are united, as we come together. D.A. Carson says this. He says, the oneness Christ desires is analogous to the oneness Jesus enjoys with his Father. And, we, and here we have that fleshed out when Christ says, you are in me, I am in you, and they are in me, that the Father is actually in the Son, and the Son is actually in the Father. So much so that the, the Father actually performs works on the Son's behalf, and the Son obeys and is dependent upon the Father. You see, you see the, the connection there, the unitedness of that? Right? So as Christ prays for unity, um, so Christ prays for unity so that we might demonstrate who he is, in a way. Our unity is a reflection of God's. That's why we're unified. That's why we come together. That as we, as we get united, as we perfect um, the oneness that Christ prays for, we reflect the God in whom we serve, the God in whom we proclaim. As his image bearers and as Christ's people, we we reflect our creator in our community. Since our father, our God, exists in a community within himself. Isaiah tells us that the Lord is one. The Lord our God is one. So when we look like our one God, by being one in community, we reflect him. 
And this, in fact, is what makes us beautiful. When, when, when I talk about beauty, I, I'm not talking about the type of beauty that we think about in pageants, for example, where there's some sort of scale, for example. God's beauty is from himself. It's derived from, he is the ultimate source of beauty. So because we reflect God, we are his beautiful community. Pastor Erwin Anson in his book says, God as Trinity is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are perfectly united in that beautiful community. We get to reflect that. Another theologian, Herman Boving, says that the Trinity reveals God to us as the fullness of being, the true life, but also who and what is eternally beautiful. We reflect our God and we become beautiful just on the strength that we look like him, not only individually as his image bears, but also as a community. But as Rob prayed earlier, as Rob said earlier, this can be challenging, right? We don't, we don't often look like we're one. We let, the, we let our differences in a way, get, get in the way of that oneness of that united, and that togetherness. Again, you can think traditional differences, generational differences, life state differences, economic differences. We in America, racial differences. And that's just to name a few. There are tons and tons of things that sort of wedges its way within our body to disconnect it, disconnect us. The body of Christ is constantly bruised and scarred from trying to come together despite our differences. I think one way this plays out, unfortunately, is when our differences are overlooked or undervalued. We treat one tradition or one economic status or one generation or one life stage or one race as what's ultimate, what's supremely true, or what's most authentic and pure. And in the meantime, whether we mean to do this or not, uh, we treat the other tradition, the other generation, the other life stage, and so on, we, deem it, we, we, we treat it as if it's weaker, or if it's less authentic, or less pure. In the words of our Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters, this should not be. If we are going to exist in a beautiful community, we must embrace this diversity. Let me remind us that our triune God, again, is, is perfectly and united in community, but he also has diversity. As the Westminster Confession states that there is unity in the Godhead, one is of, um, um, one of substance, power, and eternity, but yet there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And as we find in Scripture, we can even clearly see here that they have different roles and responsibilities within the eternal plan of God. So what I'm saying is that as, as, as when, when God prays for our oneness, when God prays for our unity, as his reflection, he is not praying for our sameness, if I can use that word, for us to, to be sort of monoculture in a way. But God is saying that, hey, to be diverse is to be like God. For God's people to be like him is to actually exist in a diverse manner. Our differences coming together, to, together united, actually glorify God. I think this is why when John gets caught up in a vision of heaven and revelation, 
He saw what God intended his expression of people to be like. The Bible says that while, while John heard 144,000 and heard only Israel, when he, when he turned to actually look, it was a number he couldn't count. He couldn't count the number. And actually, it was people from all, tri- all nations, all languages, all tribes, and all people. So when we disregard our differences, when we, when we fail to embrace our differences, we miss the opportunity to reflect our God. We actually distort the beautiful eschatological picture that God paints for us in Revelation. That's why we pursue unity in, as, as a body, to reflect our diverse God in a way. I think as we apply this text, um, particularly here at TTPC, I think the first thing that we ought to do is believe that. I think we ought to believe that it's good for us to be different and embrace those differences. And as we do that, as we come together and be united, we look like God. We reflect our God. And after we grab onto that, right, we continue to be welcoming and warm and hospitable, which I think we do really well. I think we should continue to find creative ways to celebrate and, and show dignity and value to other traditions and generations and life stages and economic statuses and races in our body. For many of us, that would be a compromise, right? Many of us have to compromise and let go of some of our preferences for that reason. And for others, we need to be patient and be gracious. Why? Because that person is in God's body as well. And again, I like to mention that I fear that if we aren't intentional about being a unified community, we will face overwhelming challenges in sharing Christ and helping people feel like they actually belong here. I think today's potluck is a great example of how we are embracing each other's diversity. We're allowing each food, food, what better way to speak about our culture and our backgrounds than food, right? I made my, um, it didn't come out like I wanted to, but I made my aunt's, my aunt, who was like um, our big mom and our family, her special cornbread for the day um, at 12 a.m. last night, by the way. <laughs> so hopefully it's, it didn't come out as, be- as good as, as I mentioned. Um, it's not as sweet as I wanted it to be. Um, but there's a way for you to sort of take a step into my world. Because as I, eat, as I eat that cornbread, I'm reminded of her. I'm reminded of my culture. So you get a chance to step into that, right? And embrace that with me. But in our fellowship, in our discipleship, in our mission, in our worship, let's look like God. Let's reflect who he is. Let's be a beautiful community because it reflects him. So as we have it, Christians are Christ's beautiful community, and we pursue and we live in that beautiful community because it reflects our God, our creator. And another reason in my in my Last point is that Christ's beautiful community is his, is his revelation. It's his revelation. I'm not sure if you caught this in the text, but notice here in verse 21 that he says that I'm praying for their unity. I'm praying for their oneness. I'm praying that they will be together. They will look like us to know that I am in you, you are in me, I am in them. And he goes on to say that so that the world may believe
have sent me. Verse 23 says, so the world may know that you have sent me and has loved them as you, as you love me. Christ prays to the Father for his people to be one, and it follows up and says that their unity is his revelation, that God is actually revealed as we reflect him. I think, I think, I think, that's, I think that's profound and amazing, but let's unpack it. I think when, 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 I, when I read this, Again, I like to ask questions. I come away with two questions. First, who is the world? And then how does the world come to know Christ was sent as we are together, as we bear his image? Based on the context, I think it's fair to suggest that the world that Christ is referencing here, because John uses a lot of meanings when he says the word world, but particularly in this, ver- in this verse, in this context, it seems like um, the word world is referencing those who do not belong to Christ and his community, those who are outside of God's community. So if you think about how those who are outside of God's community, those who do not believe that Christ was sent, as, as, as we think about how they will come to know that Christ was sent, it goes back to our first point, right? As I mentioned earlier, that Christ's beautiful community is a reflection. And so Christ is saying that as as, this reflect, his, that as we come together, as we are united and as we're together, his reflection will be so clear, his glory will be so bright, right, that even the world will recognize it. Even the world will see it. And in addition to that, what is represented in the body would also testify there's something greater going on, right? That as Christ's community, as we, as we lovingly embrace each other in our diversity, I think it, that will speak volumes in a hostile and disconnected world, right? So think about it. When they see us coming together, embracing our differences, Christ is saying that their reaction is going to be like, man, that, that got to be God. There got to be something going. There got to be something going on there because that's not normal when you look outside. D.A. Carson says this, that the display of genuine love amongst the believers attests that they are Jesus' disciples. And this display of unity is so compelling, so unworldly, that their witness as to who Jesus is becomes explainable only if Jesus was sent by the Father. So in other words, when, when the outside world looks in on us and they see Christ's beautiful community, again, their only, their only solution for our unity within our diversity should be. They must belong to Christ. That is, the, that is the way of Christ to be together, to be connected. Um, this past Mother's Day was my um, wife's first Mother's Day, and uh, it, was a, it was a special one. And so um, one of the things that Annalise came home to was, I got a prop, by the way, uh-oh, <laughs> was this beautiful picture here. It says, Happy Mother's Day, I heart you, or I love you, I guess. Um, and she first, I said, this is from December. This is December wrote this for you. And it was from December. But, y'all, but you guys are laughing because you know, like, December couldn't have created this, right? She could barely stand. She's nine, months, she's nine months a day, right? This beautiful picture points to something that someone, someone wants to help her because she was incapable. And I think you automatically see where I'm going with this, right? That when, when people come and see us, 
and they see the beautiful picture that, that we're creating here in our diversity, they will say, someone must have helped them. That's not possible. That's not possible alone. Because when I look outside, there's something different. They say, man, the hand of God must be on there. The hand of the Christ must be who they serve. And they will right to be, they will be right to assume that. But what if the inverse what if the inverse and the opposite was true as well? Right? That is we disregard if we disregard our differences, if we fail to embrace our differences, we miss the opportunity to reflect our God. We distort the beautiful eschatological picture that God is painting for us. We actually don't look like that. We don't testify to the coming of Christ. We instead look like the world. We look like Satan, who is all about disconnection, all about having people be separate and not together. How might we change what our community looks like if, if we come together? If we are unity, if we actually embrace what Christ desires for us in his prayer, that we will be one. I know it's again the focus of our church to be sharing Christ. And as we think about what Christ is praying for here. I think a good way of sort of resting in what he's saying is to almost put it in these words that mission starts at home. Mission starts at home. That as we consider sharing Christ with others, again, we should and we must share in Christ together here. I think it would be counterproductive and even hypocritical of us to proclaim that we have been adopted into God's family. And then people come, we demonstrate disbelief by not authentically living together as God's family. I think we do a really good job of being hospitable. I think we all recognize that our church has diversity But I want to encourage us that it's not enough for us just to have different people sit in our seats to be a part of our body. That we reveal who God is, we reveal who Christ is and that God sent him as we celebrate those differences that we have. So let's continue to do that. Let's continue to be hospitable. Let's continue to reach across cultural lines. Let's continue to find creative ways like our potluck today to celebrate what we have that is different and to embrace each other's cultures and traditions. That would be good for us because, again, our Christ's beautiful community is his revelation. And so since the release of that book I mentioned earlier, I guess all odds, there have been many articles that have come out that, talk, that talks about why people are leaving the church or whatever. And there are tons of reasons why people do that. Um, but the one I think that we can actually tackle together, outside of some of the other nuances, Rob and I were just talking about this the other day, 
I'll start with some of the other nuances. I think one, the one we can actually tackle together that actually makes sense for us is helping others feel a sense of belonging. And we recognize that that is hard because we have deep and intricate reasons of why we are different. And again, the world would have it no other way for us to continue to show that, right? And if we overlook it, if we don't pay attention to it, we can find ourselves similarly struggling with being stable in a way. But I thank God for Christ Jesus, right? Like Erwin says, this God himself is committed to knitting the human race back together in Jesus Christ. See, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, not only, we don't only find grace for our mistakes for how to, and the ways in which we fail to be unified, and Lord knows I have my mistakes. We not only find love that compels us to actually grow together and to be together, but we also find God reconciling the world back into himself. We find God knitting the human race back into Jesus Christ and committed to that effort. So I think we can look, we can look forward to the day that we are perfectly one, right? The, that, that picture in Revelation that I reference. That, that as we are perfectly one around the throne of God with, with palms in our hands and white robes all singing, salvation has come by our God. All of us will be able to say God belongs to us. He's ours. He'd be our personal God. We can look forward to that day when, when our unity and diversity will be perfectly one. But until then, we make strides in obedience and in love together. That in spite of the instability of the pursuit and in spite of the frustrating feeling of running hard and feel like you aren't getting anywhere, we still press on towards the vision of Christ Jesus. We do that together. We do that in love. We do that with hope. That Christians ought to live as Christ's beautiful community because it reflects him, because it reveals who he is. Let's pray.